If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Sometimes you turn in your bulletin stuff on Monday and then the week happens, so you pick a different scripture. So this morning I am not reading from Acts, but the fourth gospel, the gospel of John, I'll be reading from chapter 20, verses 19 through 22. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Here ends the reading inspired by God. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. It's so nice to see all of you in regular church clothes. I mean, I hardly recognized you in all of that Easter finery last week. Much to the relief of most people, there is only one Easter Sunday to dress up for. I have to say, though, that the Sunday following Easter is just as important, although we don't dress up for it. This is, after all, this Sunday, Jesus visits the disciples for the first time since his execution. You would think that this would warrant a second week of fancy church clothes. Brother Fred Craddock calls this Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, Pentecost Sunday, the birthday of the church. Although it isn't marked on the liturgical calendar as so, the official date of Pentecost Sunday is still a month away, May 20th. The English word Pentecost is a translation of a Greek word meaning 50. Christians borrowed it from Greek-speaking Jews who used the phrase to refer to the Jewish holiday of the Festival of Weeks. The name comes from an expression in Leviticus which instructs the people to count seven weeks or 50 days from the end of Passover to the beginning of the next holy day. For Jewish people, 50 days after Passover is Pentecost, a day to celebrate God's giving of the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. Christianity's official Pentecost celebration is modeled on that story. For the next 50 days, the lectionary is filled with stories of how God poured out the Holy Spirit on the followers of Jesus, 
much like the giving of the law. We usually celebrate Pentecost by reading the second chapter of the book of Acts, which tells us about another, but tells us about a gathering in Jerusalem. You know it. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all gathered in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, there came a sound like the rush of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak to one another in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. After that, Peter gave a rousing sermon and 3,000 people were baptized. Wow! That is how to start a church. Fire, speaking in tongues, baptism. I wonder if we Congregationalists would have survived all the excitement. But this morning we look at another story also in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit was said to have been given, but to a smaller crowd. Some of the disciples were there, but not all. In this story, we are not very far removed from the crucifixion, just a week out. And although the Gospel of John reports that Mary Magdalene told the disciples that she had in fact seen Jesus, her message fell on deaf ears. I would like the record to reflect that I am going to give those good old boy disciples the benefit of the doubt on this one. Their teacher had been crucified. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that if they wanted to avoid the same fate, they should keep quiet. Quite frankly, this may be the smartest move the disciples made. It was a good strategy to lock themselves in that house, out of sight, out of mind, at least from the religious and political authorities who were behind Jesus' execution. This was at least easier. Smaller groups are easier to manage. They could just take care of themselves, things would settle down, and they could get back to their pre-Jesus lives. So there they were, in hiding, when suddenly it happened, Jesus appeared. Of course, we don't know if this actually happened, although we know that this story is true. Maybe they really saw Jesus, or perhaps felt his presence in a way they had not since he was killed. Remember those memory spaces Robin talked about last week? The disciples may have been talking about Jesus, creating a memory space with their shared experience, remembering his teachings, his example, his insistence on care for the stranger, his obsession with justice. Perhaps that is how it came to be that Jesus appeared to them. The text says that Jesus breathed on them, receive the Holy Spirit. In that locked house, as quiet as an exhale, they received the Holy Spirit, and the church was born. They became the church, serving God and others, seeking to bring the kingdom of God to the neighborhood. Confession is good for the soul, so I will admit to you that I would prefer the other story with rushing wind and fire. I mean, maybe it's the Baptist in me. I'd also take a story that, that gives Mary Magdalene a little more credit, especially if the other choice is to say that the church was born in a room of 
stinky, smelly men. But given everything I know about church and church people, this, this is likely how God would have it happen in the most unexpected way, kind of like the idea that a single mother would birth and raise a baby who would save us from ourselves. A story that sounds quite familiar, a small group of rather ordinary people huddled together, worried about the future, unable to decide what to do next, and then all of the sudden, it comes to them. So it was that the male disciples, along with the women disciples who had followed Jesus his entire ministry, became the church, leaving the safety and simplicity of a closed group in order to serve other people, people who are not always grateful or nice, to comfort people who are in the middle of crisis, be it death or illness or weariness, to empty their pockets for other people's children, to pray and lament and then try to correct the sins that divide us. Who are these people? Who are people like this? They are the people on whom God has breathed. They are the people who understand what Jesus was trying to do and to get us to do, to use churchy words. They are people who have received the Holy Spirit. I wonder, I wonder what would happen to the church if the Spirit were withdrawn. What if there is no Spirit? I mean, perhaps a church could stay alive for a few months, maybe even a year. Maybe if they had a senior minister with a PhD in rhetoric and an endearing smile. Maybe if they had an associate minister with a law degree and was a two-time Miss Congeniality. Maybe, maybe if they had a little bit of money and, and threw some parties, maybe a dead church could go on for a while. But, but eventually, all of those things would run out. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be enough, not without the spirit. The church would just be a place to keep the organ, a museum of things with the names of donors on shiny plaques that someone has to dust. It sounds suffocating. Truthfully, I'm not exactly sure how the spirit thing works. I, I cannot explain it. The law student in me wants to quote Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart. I know it when I see it. He, of course, was not talking about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but still, there is something intuitive about the movement of the spirit and it makes further analysis difficult. And yet, it can be painfully clear when Christians stay locked in our own houses. We hear about it in the news, Christians walling themselves in with legislation that restricts where people can use the bathroom, where they can live, which businesses can refuse service to whom, and who can adopt children. Oklahoma Senate Bill 1140, which passed the Senate and heads to a House committee this week, is the most recent attempt by self-identified Christians to cloak discrimination in religious liberty. House Bill 1140 would deny, Senate Bill 1140 would deny loving homes to foster children, 
a thinly veiled attempt to legalize homophobia and deny LGBTQ individuals and couples the opportunity to change a foster child's life. There are separate Christian schools where children are raised up to believe that this is a Christian-only nation. In fact, some of the most aggressive champions for privatizing education claim to do so in the name of Christ, characterizing public schools as godless, or worse, treating what is the primary route of opportunity and equality for most children, especially those living in poverty, as a commodity instead of a sacred responsibility. This is about as upside down as it gets. To use a churchy word, this is sin. Privatization of our public education system is an attempt to convert public education into a marketplace of financial gain for the few. So-called school choice programs are an attempt to redistribute public education resources from the most underfunded districts into the hands of private education profiteers. Privatizing public education is how the rich take from the poor. This is why the conversation about education funding includes things like capital gains and income tax brackets. How do you defund public education? Wholesale buy-in to trickle-down economics. In 2015, the poorest 20% of Oklahoma households paid over 10% of their income in state and local taxes compared to just 4.3% paid by the wealthiest 1%. The primary question facing us is not how much the rich should give to the poor, but when will they stop taking from the poor? But as painfully clear as it can sometimes be when the church locks the doors on itself, Praise be to God that it can also be crystal clear when the Spirit of God has not only unlocked the church doors but blown open the sanctuary windows. It not only lets us out but people in. You, you should see the faces of the LGBTQ couples who come here to get married. They read the sign in the hallway, We Believe in Rights, R-I-G-H-T-S, more than rights, R-I-T-E-S. They reach out and touch it as, as if it's a mirage. And when I say, let's go into the sanctuary, I'll light the candles on the altar, and then we'll get you married, they say, you'll let us get married in, in your sanctuary? Oh, it's not our sanctuary, it's God's, and she's thrilled you're here. <laughs> And then they can feel, they can feel the spirit. And of course there is the matter of sanctuary, the literal opening of the church doors to our neighbors who are undocumented, as well as our going out into the community to bear witness with our weekly prayer vigils for immigration justice. Last week, a group of teenagers wandered up saying that they had heard about this vigil and wanted to see if we were really serious. They discovered we were. The Spirit had pushed us right out of this sanctuary, down Portland, all the way to 57th, for them to find us. And last week, 
Last week, the faith community showed up at the Capitol to support our teachers. Supporting public education is a gospel value, and the church, as a matter of justice, is called to stand against every effort to underfund, defund, or deny public education. Amen is the proper response. <laughs> We believe that every child deserves a quality, free education. The public school is the primary way to create opportunities for all children, no matter what situation they were born into. It's past time for our churches to join the fight for fully funded public education. That's your, there we go, you're getting better. This is why we showed up at the Capitol to offer prayers and support. This is why we locked arms and sang this little light of mine. And people noticed. The stale, stinky air under the dome changed. And it wasn't because the air conditioner kicked on. To use churchy words, the spirit moved. But the fight is far from over and our teachers need to know we are with them. Why do we come here week after week, Sunday after Sunday, why? We, we come here to talk about things that scare us, whatever it is that keeps us holed up in the dark rooms of our hearts and turns us into isolationists and nationalists and keeps us playing small. We come here to confess that we have idolized security, that we have idolized safety. And we come here expecting that the Holy Spirit will show up just as she did for those early Jesus followers to unlock our hearts. We to remember the teachings of Jesus, the imperatives to go and do likewise, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit those in prison, knowing that to do those things is to care for God. After all, there is no separation. There is more to do, of course, than what we are already doing. There are those who haven't heard that no matter who they are or where they are on life's journey, they are welcome here. There are over 9,000 kiddos in foster care. The waiting list for disability services grows longer day by day. There is an expanded ICE office building being built in our backyard. So friends, on this Pentecost Sunday, 2,000 years after the original Pentecost Sunday, I'll, I'll borrow a line from Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit. I cannot wait to see what happens next. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister 
at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.